Let us bow together in prayer. Father, it is our prayer that we shall build for eternity. We shall build those stately mansions in heaven by the kind of lives we live and by the kind of treasure we lay up in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. Speak to us then in the stillness of these next few moments. Hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Do a work in all our hearts, my heart, each listening heart, for thy dear name's sake. Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me once again to the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. And in chapter 3, I am not dealing with the initial verses of this chapter so much as verses 10 down to 15. Verses 10 to 15. And our theme, as announced in our bulletin and a few moments ago, is building for eternity. As little children, we used to sing, we are building day by day, in our work and in our play, not with hammer, blow on blow, not with timber, sawing soul, building a house not made with hands, following Jesus' perfect plans. Little builders all are we, building for eternity. Christian, I want to ask you this morning, are you building for time or eternity? That question will have been answered for you before this message concludes. To my mind and in my judgment, it's one of the most solemn, challenging things in attempting, seductive, fast-moving world in which our lot is cast today to build just for time and to be involved and possessed of interests just temporary and to forget that we're creatures of eternity and that one day we'll have to answer for every breath we've drawn, for every thought we thought, for every word we've spoken, for every act we've done. Building for eternity. Yes, this is more than just a little children's chorus. It's sound theology. Indeed, it's the sum of the truth contained in these verses now before us. Paul has been speaking of the work of God in terms of the picture of agriculture. But now he turns to a metaphor of even more illustrative scope, that of architecture. And he speaks of working for God and living for God in terms of building for eternity. Every moment we live, we build. And we build for time alone or for eternity as well. And so that we shall be quite definite as to what we mean here, I want us to address ourselves to this great subject. And I want you with your open Bible there at the radio or here in this holy sanctuary this morning to follow me as we seek to expound this passage 
of God's word. Consider with me first of all then the motives for building for eternity. The right motives that determine our building for eternity. Paul sums that up in verse 10. He says this, according to the grace of God which is given unto me. If you and I are to build for God and to build for eternity, then our motives must spring from the grace of God in us. And my friend, this is of fundamental importance. Anything that issues out of yourself, whether it be your eloquence or your brain or your business acumen or anything else, devoid of the grace of God is completely and utterly worthless in the light of eternity. Everything must issue from and spring from the grace of God. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. And Paul means that in three ways as we learn from his epistles. First of all, being saved by grace. Being saved by grace. In Ephesians 2 and 8 he puts it this way, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In the context of this verse, Paul declares that those who are not saved are dead. Dead in trespasses and in sins. And needless to say, a dead man cannot build. He may have the most brilliant career that the universities have ever set out for a man. He may be the man of great wealth. He may have a great business. He may have great influence. But if he's not saved, he's dead. Dead while he lives mentally. Dead while he lives physically, but spiritually dead. And everything he does spells death. God condemns it as dead works. I want to ask you, my friend, are you saved? Are you saved in the biblical sense? Are you saved in the New Testament sense? Are you saved by the grace of God? I'm not asking whether you believe in a historic Christ. I'm not asking you if you contribute to orthodox statements. I'm not asking you whether you've joined a church or whether you're baptized. I'm asking you, my friend, are you saved? We're living in a day when religion is popular in this country. 60% of your nation go to church. But it's estimated that a very small proportion of the great boom of religious respectability today represents anything of the saved people of God. Are you saved? Are you saved? Saved by grace. But Paul goes deeper than that. He talks not only of being saved by grace, he talks about being made by grace. He says, by the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and with the apostle, every believer must be able to recognize that the grace of God in my life, in your life, is effecting a purifying, adjusting work of God so that all motives, all motives with which I build are brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The entire life is under 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Can you say today I magnify the grace of God because I know that not I but Christ liveth in me? I remember the moment in my life when I discovered that Stephen Olford was guilty, condemned, crucified with Christ. That was my position in the economy of God. I saw it. I knew it. I believed it. I accepted it. I act upon it and God expects nothing from self. God accepts nothing from Stephen Olford as such but death. Only the grace of God in me by the power of the indwelling Christ pleases him in all I do. Saved by grace, made by grace. Is the grace of God effecting this impact upon your life? Tell me, my friend, are you conscious this very moment, even as I speak, that the grace of God is working in you? And today, this morning, as you sit here in this church, or as you listen at your radio set, you are conscious that God has taken you a step further in this wonderful, magnifying, sanctifying, purifying grace of God. Saved by grace, made by grace. Yes, and Paul adds, called by grace it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach will you notice the significance of these words the call of God to this man Paul was identical with the revelation of Jesus Christ in him no man is called to any service no man can do anything for God whatsoever if he's not conscious of the indwelling Christ revealed in him. Not merely somebody objective that he reads about in the New Testament, but somebody he can consciously talk about as indwelling him. It pleased God who called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach it. And my friend, I don't care if your job is accounting, if it's lecturing at a university desk, or whether it's a housewife peeling the potatoes or polishing the brass, the only thing that God recognizes in heaven is this. Is Jesus doing this thing in you? Are you merely the vehicle for the divine expression of Christ? Are you merely the suit of clothes through which the Savior is walking and talking and speaking? Is this whole work emanating and issuing from a Christ within you? Or is it self-seeking? Or is it politics? Or is it dodging? Is it pushing yourself into the position of power? Is it intrigue? Is it dishonesty? Or is it Jesus speaking and thinking and acting in you? The call of God is consistent with and commensurate with the revelation of Jesus in a human personality redeemed by the precious blood. Saved by grace made by grace called by grace and the right motives for building for eternity my friend spring from the grace of God in a man's life the motives that build for eternity I repeat spring from the grace of God in a man's life you can never have a right motive you can never talk about pure motives you can never even envisage pure motives unless they spring from the grace of God in you because you're saved by grace you're made by grace and you're called by grace 
But if we're to build for eternity, my beloved friends here this morning, it's not only the right motives we need, but the right methods. The right methods. And Paul makes this very clear as to what the my right methods are. He says, and listen at verse 10 again, Paul tells us that builders, as builders, we must take heed how or by what methods we build. He then proceeds to show that the right methods of building are those which are rightly related to the only foundation even Jesus Christ laid once and for all. In practical terms, such relating of our methods to the foundation, our Lord Jesus Christ, mean three important things. And I want us to consider them very solemnly in God's presence. The first is magnifying the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The magnifying of the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Says Paul, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. And again, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul made sure that nothing he did would bring discredit upon the matchless worth and glory of his Lord and Master. And you, my friend, and I too, must test everything we ever do, whether it's in the silence of our own room, whether it's in the solitude of some back part of the world that nobody knows anything about. It may be on a mission station, and the folk at home don't know anything about it. It may be in your business office. It may be in your kitchen. It may be in your playroom. It doesn't matter where it is. What I do, what I do must glorify my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Everything I do in my method must not bring discredit upon the worth of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His excellencies, his virtues, his honor, his glory must be supreme in all I do. Cost what it will, he must be glorified. Let him that glory, glory in the Lord. The magnifying of the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, the magnifying of the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle warns us that if any man consent not to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, withdraw thyself from him. Withdraw thyself from him. I cannot put my hand to anything which violates the clear teaching of the word of God without adopting the wrong method of building. If what we build is going to stand the storms of temporal and eternal testings, then we must honor the word of Jesus Christ in everything. Jesus taught in that wonderful Sermon on the Mount that whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon the rock. That is why, beloved, I have insisted that the scriptures are sufficient for everything concerning faith and practice. And there is nothing that's ever to be done in this church or concerning this church which violates the clear teaching of the word of God. Those are our terms of reference and anything we ever do contrary to that, anything we ever do that violates that is a wrong method. And it's building for time and not for eternity. It may give an impressive wonderful outlook now but it'll collapse it'll burn up in the day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ the magnifying of the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ 
the magnifying of the word of our Lord Jesus Christ yes the magnifying of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ God forbid that I should glory says Paul save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ whereby the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world Paul's method of procedure and all his work of building was to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified this inevitably cancelled out cancelled out anything worldly cancelled out anything fleshly the cross spells death to anything which is not of God the cross spells death to anything which is of self the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ must always come into everything we do everything we touch our giving everything we do in our Bible school in our Sunday school class in our work must have the sign of the cross upon it to remind us ever and always that only only that which glorifies the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is for eternity otherwise it's for time it's worthless it's useless it'll collapse it'll burn up it'll never stand the test of eternity we build for eternity only in terms of right motives centered in the grace of God saved by grace made by grace called by grace we build for eternity only with right methods methods that magnify the worth and word and work of our Lord Jesus Christ all our methods must fit into the one foundation forever laid even Jesus Christ for no other foundation can any other man lay than that which is laid even Jesus Christ but what my burden is concerned with this morning is not only the right motives and only those springing from the grace of God are approved in heaven not only the right methods that glorify our Savior Jesus Christ but the right materials the right materials what are we putting into the building that's going up this stately mansion of our soul and our service for God what materials are we putting into our building look again at verses 13 now if any man build on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay stubble each man's work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by far by far when speaking of these materials Paul evidently had in mind an event which had occurred in Corinth a fire had burnt its way through that stately city and behind its revealing flames were left important lessons for every genuine observer the carefully built edifice of gold silver precious stones those precious stones being marble slabs and granite had survived the conflagration but the poor little hovels of wooden walls stuffed with hay and roofs thatched with stubble had burned to the ground 
the wise builders with right motives and methods and materials had saved everything. The foolish builders who had disregarded the true principles of building had lost everything but their own lives. Saved, so is by far. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I believe that when a man has been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ, regenerated by God the Holy Ghost, indwelt by the Son of God, and proves his yieldedness to God by a life of surrender which nobody can challenge, that man is eternally secure. But I also believe that it's possible for a man to have his soul saved and his life lost. I believe it's possible for me to get to heaven and yet to be saved so is by far. Because I built wrongly, because I've built for time instead of eternity, my great impressive structure of wood, hay and stubble will burn up in that day before the fiery glance of my Lord and there'll be nothing left but the charred embers of a wasted life. If my soul is to be saved, if my life is to count for God, if I'm to have gold, silver, precious stone to present before him, then my motives must be right, my methods must be right, but also must my materials be right. And I want to conclude this morning by just discussing with you what these materials are and what they represent. Gold, silver, precious stones, you're not interested surely in wood, hay and stubble. God have mercy on you if you are. Gold, silver, precious stones. What does this signify? I believe that Paul is teaching us here that the materials we use must be viewed in the light, first of all, of their purchasing value. These materials must be viewed in the light of their purchasing value. I love those words of King David when he said, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. Listen again, listen again. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. 2 Samuel 24, 24. I cannot, I cannot in honesty bring to God, he says, that which cost me nothing. I don't want to bring him the fag end of a wasted life. I don't want to bring him gifts which haven't the mark of sacrifice upon them. I don't want to bring God that which cost me nothing. Tell me, my friend, what are your materials costing you? What are your materials costing you? Is the gold, silver, and precious stone that you're putting into that eternal building costing you everything in terms, listen, of prayer? Is your prayer life a costly one? Tell me, Christian, is your prayer life a costly one? Are you fighting through all the disadvantages of your home, it may be, or the pressure of your business, it may be, or it may be the suffering of your own body in order to concentrate in prayer and make your prayer count for God? Tell me, do you know of anything like Gethsemane praying? Do you know what it is to get down and to pray until the sweat 
comes from your brow. Do you know anything of costly praying, my friend? I'm not asking you whether you say prayers. I'm not asking you whether you repeat certain liturgical sentences. I'm asking you, do you pray? Do you know what it is to pray right through to God? A costly ministry of prayer. What are the materials costing you in terms of prayer? What are the materials costing you in terms of time? What time do you give to God? What time do you give to God? Is your whole life given over to God? Or have you marked off? This is for my business. My business, underline my. This is for my recreation, underline my. This is for my social life, underline my. And this is for God. Or is your whole life lived in the light of his scrutinizing, scrutinizing gaze? Is your whole life lived in the light of a coming day of revelation? Is your time God's? I believe my Savior is on the way back. I don't believe we're going to see very much longer opportunity if I understand prophetic scriptures, if I understand the signs of the time. And in the light of that, I am avowing afresh in the presence of God that every minute is going to count for him. Every drop of blood, every ounce of energy is going to count for him. For what does it matter if I live for myself when nothing but wood, hay and stubble remains? Is your time counting for God? What time do you give to God? Is your giving counting for God? My beloved friends, is your giving counting for God? I'm announcing right here today that on Thanksgiving Sunday, we're going to have an act of dedication to God and I'm hoping that every single member of Calvary will be here and we're going to tell God whether or not we have robbed him. We're going to tell God whether or not we are covenanted, committed, and utterly consecrated tithers. And every man who's been living in sin, every woman who's been living in sin in terms of robbing God will confess that sin before God. I want you all here because I know this Calvary Baptist Church or indeed the friends of Calvary Baptist Church don't tithe. For if they did, and if they did it in terms of their personal responsibility to the local church to which they're committed by covenant, by biblical instruction, and by the inspiration of the ministry that goes out, we'd have more than an abundance for every commitment this church has in terms of service. And we've no right to accept any responsibility, whether it be on radio, whether it be in missionaries going forth, whether it be in new projects. We have no business whatsoever to accept anything which isn't underwritten by the giving, sacrificial giving of God's people. Is your giving counting for God? Is it wood, hay, stubble? Is it the odd dollar while you squander the money in every other direction instead of the church? to which you have placed your name and where you own the headship, headship of Jesus Christ, is your giving counting for God? I want to ask my friend, is your service counting for God? What is your service for Christ? When did you last win a soul to Jesus Christ? When did you last say, I'm going to give up my evening, whatever it costs? I could sit at the radio, I could watch the television broadcast, 
of a Sunday evening. It's full of entertainment and fascination. But I'm giving all that up that I might pray for and bring to the service somebody for whom Christ died, somebody who needs the message that's transformed my life. And I'm going to bring that person. What is your service counting for God? Is the cross... Is the cross anything else but a wooden gibbet on, what, on which Jesus died? Is the cross nothing but something you carry around your neck? Is the cross nothing but something objective in history? Or is the cross a subjective force in your life which brings you to compulsion, which brings you to devotion, which brings you to utter sacrifice? For Jesus is still saying, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Oh, one could speak at length on the purchasing value of the materials in terms of the cost of prayer and time and giving and energy and service and sacrifice. Are your materials gold, silver, precious stone? They must be viewed not only in terms of their purchasing value, my friend, they must be viewed in terms of their permanent value. Are they lasting or are they passing? There is only one thing which invests materials with a permanent value. It is the breath of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And I want to remind you that God by His Spirit never breathes upon anything which is out of His will. He never breathes upon anything that hasn't right motives. He never breathes upon anything that hasn't right methods. He only breathes upon that which is in the center of his will. No wonder D.L. Moody made his great motto, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And Moody said, if I'm going to give my life to God, if my life is going to count for God, if it's going to stand the test of eternity, then this is my motto, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And the Holy Spirit only breathes upon that which is done in the will of God. The permanent value. But these materials must be viewed also in terms of their pleasing value. And to me that's the greatest incentive of all. Will these materials receive the well done, good and faithful servant? Will you be able to look into the eyes of your master and say, Precious master, here am I and the children whom thou hast given me. Lord Jesus, here is the stately building I've erected for you. Will you notice, dear Lord, that it's made of gold, silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble? Only to hear the word from the Savior, well done, good, and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. My friends here this morning, it's with tremendous sense of burden that I speak to you for I feel that we've already entered some six weeks of our ministry. But what does that mean? And what does that count? If six weeks are all to crumble up in ashes. We must build for eternity. And I'm not interested in bulk. I'm interested in quality. I'm interested in that which carries not only purchasing value, not only permanent value, but pleasing value so that in that day 
We shall not be ashamed away at his coming. I want us very solemnly in a moment to bow in God's presence and to ask ourselves whether or not we're building for time alone or building for eternity as well. And having given our answer to him to make the adjustment that's necessary, that dear Lord from now onwards as a man, as a woman saved by grace, made by grace and called by grace, I hold back nothing, absolutely nothing for thee. I'm moving right into all thy purpose of blessing for my life. My life is going to count for thee, cost what it will. Let us pray. A moment of absolute silence in God's presence. Are you building with the right motives? Are you building with the right methods? Are you building with the right materials? Cost what it will, my friend. Will you stop building for time merely and start building for eternity? How many years are left to you anyway? Will you be saved so is by far, just by the skin of your teeth? Or will you be able to stand in God's presence unashamed to present to him something which represents purchasing value, permanent value, and pleasing value. I want those of you who are making your answer to God absolutely real and complete to crystallize your response to the call of God and the challenge of Christ today by either writing it in a letter personally to me for I would like to send you back a letter of encouragement and a booklet of help to teach you how to live the victorious life. Alternatively, to meet me for our instruction meeting after the evening service tonight in the MacArthur Wing. But whether you respond that way or whether you take vantage Take advantage of my suggestion is immaterial in the last analysis. All I long is that not a single man, not a single woman, not a fellow or girl in this audience today shall find himself or herself utterly ashamed in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Build for eternity. Father in heaven, take we pray thee the message and grant that thou wilt seal home to every heart the message of this morning. Grant that no one from henceforth shall trifle with lesser things but determine to go through with God cost what it will. 
to build for eternity because we ask it for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.